Volume One, Chapter Four of Vixen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Capricia Page. Vixen by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Volume One, Chapter Four. Rory Comes of Age. "'Bless my soul!' cried the squire. "'It's a vixen after all.' This is how Squire Tempest greeted the family doctor's announcement of his baby's sex. He had been particularly anxious for a son to inherit the Abbey House estate, succeed to his father's dignities as master of the foxhounds, and in a general way sustain the pride and glory of the family name. And behold, Providence had given him a daughter— the deuce is in it ejaculated the squire to think that it should be a vixen this is how violet tempest came by her curious pet name before she was short-coated she had contrived to exhibit a very spirited and even vixenish temper and the family doctor who loved a small joke used to ask after miss vixen when he paid his professional visits as she grew older her tawny hair was not unlike a red fox's brush in its bright golden-brown hue and her temper proved decidedly vixenish i wish you wouldn't call violet by that dreadful nickname dear mrs tempest remonstrated mildly my darling it suits her to a nicety replied the squire and he took his own way in this as in most things the earth rolled round and the revolving years brought no second baby to the abbey house every year made the squire fonder of his little golden-haired girl he put her on a soft white ball of a pony as soon as she could sit up straight and took her about the forest with a leading rein no one else was allowed to teach vixen to ride young as she was she soon learnt to do without the leading rein and the gentle white pony was discarded as too quiet for little miss tempest before her eleventh birthday she rode to hounds rose before the sun to hunt young fox-clubs in early autumn and saw the stag at bay on the wild heathery downs above the wooded valleys that sink and fall below boulder wood with almost alpine grandeur she was a creature full of life and courage and generous impulses and spontaneous leanings to all good thoughts but she was a spoiled child liked her own way and had no idea of being guided by any one else's will unless it had been her father's and he never thwarted her him she adored with the fondest love that child ever gave to parent a blind worshipping love that saw in him the perfection of manhood the beginning and end of earthly good if any one had dared to say in vixen's hearing that her father could by any possible combination of circumstances do wrong act unjustly or ungenerously it would have been better for that man to have come to handy grips with a tiger-cat than with violet tempest her reverence for her father and her belief in him were boundless there never perhaps was a happier childhood than violet's she was daughter and heiress to one of the most popular men in that part of the country and everybody loved her she was not much given to visiting in a methodical way among the poor 
and it had never entered into her young mind that it was her mission to teach older people the way to heaven but if there was trouble in the village a sick child a husband in prison for rabbit snaring a dead baby a little boy's pinafore set fire vixen and her pony were always to the fore and it was an axiom in the village that where miss tempest did take it was very good to those she took too violet never withdrew her hand when she put it to the plough however long the sickness however dire the poverty vixen's patience and benevolence lasted to the end the famous princess in the story whose sleep was broken because there was a pea under her seven feather beds had scarcely a more untroubled life than vixen she had her own way in everything she did exactly what she liked with her comfortable middle-aged governess miss mccroggy learnt what she pleased and left what she disliked unlearned she had the prettiest ponies in hampshire to ride the prettiest dresses to wear her mother was not a woman to bestow mental culture upon her only child but she racked her small brain to devise becoming costumes for violet the coloured stockings which harmonised best with each particular gown the neat little buckled shoes the fascinating hessian boots nothing was too beautiful or too costly for violet she was the only thing her parents possessed in the world and they lavished much love upon her but it never occurred to mr and mrs tempest as it had occurred to the duchess of dovedale to make their daughter a paragon in this perpetual sunshine violet grew up fair as most things are that grow in the sunshine she loved her father with all her heart and mind and soul she loved her mother with a lesser love she had a tolerant affection for miss mccroke she loved her ponies and the dog argus she loved the hounds in the kennels she loved every honest familiar face of nurse servant and stableman gardener keeper and huntsman that had looked upon her with friendly admiring eyes ever since she could remember not to be loved and admired would have been the strangest thing to violet she would hardly have recognized herself in an unappreciative circle if she could have heard lady mabel talking about her it would have been like the sudden revelation of an unknown world a world in which it was possible for people to dislike and misjudge her this is one of the disadvantages of being reared in a little heaven of domestic love the outside world seems so hard and black and dreary afterwards and the inhabitants thereof passing cruel miss tempest looked upon roderick baudry as her own particular property a person whom she had the right to order about as she pleased rory had been her playfellow and companion in his holiday time for the last five years all their tastes were in common they had the same love for the brute creation the same wild delight in rushing madly through the air on the backs of unreasoning animals wildly different in their tastes from lady mabel who had once been run away with in a pony carriage and looked upon all horses as incipient murderers they had the same love of nature and the same indifference to books and the same careless scorn of all the state and ceremony of life vixen was rising fifteen as her father called it and rory was just five years her senior 
the squires saw them gay and happy together without one serious thought of what might come of their childish friendship in the growth of years that his vixen could ever care for any one but her old dad was a notion that had not yet found its way into the squire's brain she seemed to him quite as much his own property his own to do what he liked with singly and simply attached to him as his favorite horse or his favorite dog so there were no shadowings forth in the paternal mind as to any growth and development which the mutual affection of these two young people might take in the future it was very different with lady jane vaudrey who never saw her son and his cousin mabel together without telling herself how exactly they were suited to each other and what a nice thing it would be for the briarwood and ashburn's estates to be united by their marriage rory went back to college and contrived to struggle through the next examinations with an avoidance of actual discredit but when christmas came he did not return to the forest though violet had counted on his coming and had thought that it would be good fun to have his help in the decorations for the little gothic church in the valley pretty little new church like a toy which the squire had built and paid for and endowed with a perpetual seventy pounds a year out of his own pocket it would have been fun to see poor rory prick his clumsy fingers with the holly vixen laughed at his awkwardness in advance when she talked to miss mccroke about him and drew upon himself that lady's mild disapproval but christmas came and brought no rory he had gone off to spend his christmas at the duke of dovedale's scotch castle easter came and still no rory he was at putney with the varsity crew or in london with the dovedales riding in the row and forgetting dear old hampshire and the last of the hunting for which he would have been just in time even the long vacation came without rory he had gone for that promised tour of switzerland at his mother's instigation and was only to come back in the year to keep his twenty-first birthday which was to be honoured in a very subdued and unhilarious fashion at briarwood mamma said violet at breakfast-time one august morning with her nose scornfully tilted what is mr vaudrey like dark or fair why violet you can't have forgotten him protested her mother with languid astonishment i think he has been away long enough for me to forget even the colour of his hair mamma and as he hasn't written to anybody we may fairly suppose he has forgotten us vixen misses her playfellow said the squire busy with the demolition of a grouse but rory is a young man now you know dear and has work to do in the world duties my pet duties and is a young man's first duty to forget his old friends inquired vixen naively my pet you can't expect a lad of that kind to write letters i'm a deuced bad hand at letter-writing myself and always was i don't think a man's hand was ever made to pinch a pin nature has given us a broad strong grasp to grip a sword or a gun your mother writes most of my letters vixen you know and i shall expect you to help her in a year or two let me see rory will be one and twenty in october and there will be high jinks at briarwood i believe so there's something for you to look forward to my dear edward exclaimed mrs tempest reproachfully you forget that violet is not out she will not be sixteen till next february bless her 
cried the squire with a tender look at his only child she has grown up like a green bay tree if this were to be quite a friendly affair at briarwood she might go surely it will not be a friendly affair said mrs tempest lady jane never gives friendly parties there is nothing friendly in her nature and i don't think she likes us much but i dare say we shall be asked and if we go i must have a new dress added the gentle lady with a sigh of resignation it will be a dinner no doubt and the duke and duchess will be there of course the card of invitation came in due course three weeks before the birthday it was to be a dinner as mrs tempest had appinned she wrote off to her milliners at once and there was a passage of letters and fashion plates and patterns of silk to and fro and some of mrs tempest's finest lace came out of the perfume chest in which she kept her treasures and was sent off to madame theodore poor vixen beheld these preparations with an aching heart she did not care about dinner-parties in the least but she would have liked to be with rory on his birthday she would have liked it to have been a hunting day and to have ridden for a wild scamper across the hills with him to have seen the rolling hills of the white blue in the distance to have felt the soft south wind blowing in her face and to have ridden by his side neck and neck all day long and then to have gone home to the abbey house to dinner to the snug round table in the library and the dogs and papa in his happiest mood expanding over his port and walnuts that would have been a happy birthday for all of them in vixen's opinion the squire and his daughter had plenty of hunting in this merry month of october but there had been no sign of rory and his big raking chestnut in the field nor had anyone in the forest heard of or seen the young oxonian i dare say he is only coming home in time for the birthday mrs tempest remarked placidly and went on with her preparations for the event she wanted to make a strong impression on the duchess who had not behaved too well to her only sending her invitations for indiscriminate afternoon assemblies which mrs tempest had graciously declined pleading her feeble health as a reason for not going to garden parties vixen was in a particular temper during those three weeks and poor miss mccroke had hard work with her der die das cried vixen throwing down her german grammar in a rage one morning when she had been making a muddle of the definite article in her exercise and the patient governess had declared that they really must go back to the very beginning of things what stupid people the germans are why can't they have one little word for everything as we have t h e b any child can learn that what do they mean by chopping up their language into little bits like the pieces of a puzzle why even the french are more reasonable though they're bad enough goodness knows with their he's and she's feminine tables and masculine beds why should i be bothered to learn all this rubbish i'm not going to be a governess and it will never be of any use to me papa doesn't know a single sentence in french or german and he's quite happy but if your papa were travelling on the continent violet he would find his ignorance of the language a great deprivation no he wouldn't he would have a courier are you aware my dear that we have wasted five minutes already in this discursive conversation remarked miss mccroke looking at a fat useful watch which she wore at her side in the good old fashion we will leave the grammar for the present 
and you can repeat Schiller's Song of the Bell. I'd rather say The Flight of the Dragon, said Vixen. There's more fire and life in it. I do like Schiller, croaky dear, but isn't it a pity that he didn't write it in English? And Vixen put her hands behind her, and began to recite the wonderful story of the knight who slew the dragon, and very soon her eyes kindled, and her cheeks were aflame, and the grand verses were rolled out rapidly, with a more or less faulty pronunciation, but plenty of life and vehemence. This exercise of mind and memory suited Vixen a great deal better than dull plodding at the first principles of grammar and the perpetual der die das. This day was the last of October, and Roderick Vaudry's birthday. He had not been to see the Abbey House yet. He had returned to Briarwood before this, no doubt, but had not taken the trouble to come and see his old friends. "'He is a man now, and has duties, and has done with us,' thought Vixen savagely. She was very glad that it was such a wretched day, a hideous day for anyone's twenty-first birthday. Ominous of all bad things, she thought. There was not a rift in the dull grey sky. The straight fine rain came down persistently, soaking into the sodden earth and sending up an odour of dead leaves. The smooth, shining laurels in the shrubbery were the only things in nature that seemed no worse for the perpetual downpour. The gravel drives were spongy and sloppy. There was no hunting, or Vixen would have been riding her pony through rain and foul weather, and would have been comparatively independent of the elements. But to be at home all day, watching the rain, and thinking what a horrid, ungrateful young man Rory was, that was dreary. Mrs. Tempest went to her room to lie down directly after luncheon. She wanted to keep herself fresh for the evening. She made quite a solemn business of this particular dinner-party. At five precisely, Pauline was to bring her a cup of tea. At half-past five she was to begin to dress. This would give her an hour and a half for her toilet, as Briarwood was only half an hour's drive from the Abbey House. So for the rest of that day, until she burst upon their astonished view in her new gown, Mrs. Tempest would be invisible to her family. "'What a disgusting birthday!' cried Vixen, sitting in the deep embrasure of the hall window, with Argus at her side, dog and girl looking out at the glistening shrubbery. Miss McCroke had gone to her room to write letters, or Vixen would have hardly been allowed to remain peacefully in such an inelegant position her knees drawn up to her chin, her arms embracing her legs, her back against the stout oak shutter. Yet the girl and dog made rather a pretty picture, despite the inelegance of Vixen's attitude. The tawny hair, black velvet frock, and careless amber sash, amber stockings, and broad-toed Cromwell shoes. The tawny mastiff curled in the opposite corner of the deep recess. The old armorial bearings, sending pale shafts of party-colored light across Vixen's young head. These things made a picture full-framed of light and color in the dark brown oak. "'What an abominable birthday!' ejaculated Vixen. "'If it were such weather as this on my twenty-first birthday, I should think nature had taken a dislike to me. But I don't suppose Rory cares. He is playing billiards with a lot of his friends, and smoking, and making a horror of himself, I dare say, and hardly knows whether it rains or shines. Drip, 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 came the rain on the glistening leaves. Berberus and laurel, bay and holly, 
American oaks of richest red and bronze, copper beeches, tall rhododendrons, cypress of every kind, and behind them a dense black screen of yew. The late roses looked miserable. Vixen would have liked to have brought them in and put them by the hall fire. The good old hearth with its piles of blazing logs, before which Nip the pointer was stretched at ease, his muscular toes stiffening themselves occasionally, as if he were standing at a bird in his dreams. Vixen went on watching the rain. It was rather a lazy way of spending the afternoon, certainly, but Miss Tempest was out of humour with her little world, and did not feel equal to groping out the difficulties. The inexorable double sharps and odious double flats in a waltz of Chopin's. She watched the straight thin rain, and thought about Rory, chiefly to the effect that she hated him, and never could by any possibility like him again. Gradually the trickle of the rain from an overflowing water-pipe took the sound of a tune. No Berkuse by Gonad was ever more rest-compelling. The full white lids drooped over the big brown eyes, and the little locked hands loosened. The soft, round chin fell forward on the knees. Argus gave a snort of satisfaction, and laid his heavy head on the velvet gown. Girl and dog were asleep. There was no sound in the wide old hall except the soft falling of wood ashes, and the gentle breathing of girl and dogs. Too pretty a picture assuredly to be lost on the eye of mankind. Whose footsteps was this sounding on the wet gravel half an hour later? Too quick and light for the squires. Who was this coming in softly out of the rain, all dripping like a water-god? Who was this whose falcon eye took in the picture at a glance, and who stole cat-like to the window, and bending down his dark wet head, gave Vixen's sleeping lids the first lover's kisses that had ever saluted them? Vixen awoke with a faint shiver of surprise and joy. Instinct told her from whom that kiss came. Though it was the first time Roderick had kissed her since he went to Eton, the lovely brown eyes opened and looked into the dark grey ones. The ruddy brown head rested on Rory's shoulder. The girl, half-child, half-woman, and all loving trustfulness, looked up at him with a glad smile. His heart was stirred with a new feeling as those softly bright eyes looked into his. It was the early dawn of a passionate love. The head resting on his breast seemed to him the fairest thing on earth. "'Rory, how disgracefully you have behaved, and how I utterly detest you!' exclaimed Vixen, giving him a vigorous push and scrambling down from the window-seat. "'To be all this time in Hampshire, and never come near us!' A moment ago, in that first instant of a newly awakened delight, she was almost betrayed into telling him that she loved him dearly, and had found life empty without him, but having had just time enough to recover herself, she drew herself up as straight as a dart and looked at him as Kate may have looked at Petruchio during their first unpleasant interview in which they made each other's acquaintance. "'All this time,' cried Rory, "'do you know how long I've been in Hampshire?' "'Haven't the least idea,' retorted Vixen haughtily. "'Just half an hour, or at least it is exactly half an hour, since I was deposited with all my goods and chattels at the Lyndhurst Road station.' "'You are only just home for Switzerland.' "'Within the hour.' "'And you have not been home to Briarwood?' 
my honoured mother still awaits my duteous greetings and this is your twenty-first birthday and you came here first of all and almost uninvited the tawny head dropped on his shoulder again and the sweet childish lips allowed themselves to be kissed rory how brown you have grown have i the grey eyes were looking into the brown ones admiringly and the conversation was getting a trifle desultory swift as a flash violet recollected herself it dawned upon her that it was not quite the right thing for a young lady rising sixteen to let herself be kissed so tamely besides rory never used to do it the thing was a new development a curious outcome of his swiss tour perhaps people did it in switzerland and rory had acquired the habit how dare you do such a thing exclaimed vixen shaking herself free from the traveller's encircling arms i didn't think you minded said rory innocently and when a fellow comes home from a long journey he expects a warm welcome and i am glad to see you cried vixen giving him both her hands with a glorious frankness but you don't know how i have been hating you lately why vixen for being always away i thought you had forgotten us all that you did not care a jot for any of us i had not forgotten any of you and i did care very much for some of you this though vague was consoling the brown became roderick dark of visage always he was now tanned to a bronze as of one born under southern skies those deep grey eyes of his looked black under their black lashes his black hair was cut close to his well-shaped head an insipid moustache shaded his upper lip and gave manhood to his strong firm mouth a manly face altogether roderick's and handsome withal vixen's short life had shown her none handsomer he was tall and strongly built with a frame that had been developed by many an athletic exercise from throwing the hammer to bugalism vixen thought him the image of richard coeur de Leon she had been reading the talisman lately and the plantagenet now her ideal of manly excellence many happy returns of the day rory she said softly to think that you are of age to-day your own master yes my infancy ceased and determined at the last stroke of midnight yesterday i wonder whether my anxious mother will recognize that fact of course you know what is going to happen at briarwood there is to be a grand dinner-party and you are coming how jolly oh no rory i am not out yet you know i shan't be for two years papa means to give me a season in town he calls it having me broken to harness he'll take a furnished house and we shall have the horses up and i shall ride in the row you'll be with us part of the time won't you rory ça c'est poète if papa will invite me oh he will if you wish it it's to be my first season you know and i'm to have everything my own way will that be a novelty demanded roderick with intention i don't know i haven't had my own way in anything lately how is that you've been away at this naive flattery roderick almost blushed how you've grown vixen he remarked presently have i really yes i suppose i do grow my frocks are always getting too short like the sleeves of my dress-coat a year or two ago but now you are of age and can't grow any more what are you going to be rory what are you going to do with your liberty are you going into parliament mr vaudrey indulged a suppressed yawn my mother would like it he said 
but upon my word I don't care about it. I don't take enough interest in my fellow creatures. If they were foxes, you'd be anxious to legislate for them, suggested Vixen. I would certainly try to protect them from indiscriminate slaughter, and in fact, when one considers the looseness of existing game laws, I think every country gentleman ought to be in Parliament. And there is the forest for you to take care of. Yes, forestry is a subject on which I should like to have my say. I suppose I shall be obliged to turn senator, but I mean to take life easily. You may be sure of that, Vixen, and I intend to have the best stud of hunters in Hampshire. And now I think I must be off. No, you mustn't, cried Vixen. The dinner is not till eight. If you leave here at six, you will have no end of time for getting home to dress. How did you come? On these two legs. You shall have four to take you to Briarwood. West shall drive you home in Papa's dog-cart, with the new mare. You don't know her, do you? Papa only brought her last spring. She is such a beauty, and goes, goes, oh, like a sky-rocket. She bolts occasionally. But you don't mind that, do you? Not in the least. It would be rather romantic to be smashed on one's twenty-first birthday. Will you tell them to order West to get ready at once? Oh, but you are to stop to tea with Miss McCroke and me. That's part of our bargain. No kettle-drums, no starlight bess. And you'd scarcely care about walking to Briarwood under such rain as that. So be it, then. Kettle-drum and starlight bess. At any hazard of maternal wrath. But really now I am doing a most ungentlemanly thing, Vixen, to oblige you. Always be ungentlemanly, then, for my sake. If it's ungentlemanly to come and see me, said Vixen coaxingly. They were standing side by side in the big window, looking out at the straight thin rain. The two pairs of lips were not very far away from each other, and Rory might have been tempted to commit a third offence against the proprieties if Miss McCroke had not fortunately entered at this very moment. She was wonderfully surprised to see Mr. Vaudrey congratulated him ceremoniously upon his majority, and infused an element of stiffness into the small assembly. "'Rory's going to stay to tea,' said Vixen. "'We'll have it here by the fire, please, Crokey, dear. "'One can't have too much of a good fire this weather. "'Or shall we go to my den? "'Which would you like best, Rory?' "'I think we'd better have the tea here, Violet,' "'interjected Miss McCroke, ringing the bell. "'Her pupil's sanctum sanctorum, "'that pretty upstairs room, half schoolroom, half boudoir, and wholly untidy was not, in Miss McCroke's opinion, an apartment to be violated by the presence of a young man. And as Rory hasn't had any luncheon, and has come ever so far out of his way to see me, please order something substantial for him, said Vixen. Her governess obeyed. The gypsy table was wheeled up to the broad hearth, and presently the old silver teapot and kettle, and the yellow cups and saucers were shining in the cheery firelight. The old butler put a sirloin and a game pie on the sideboard, and then left the little party to shift for themselves in pleasant picnic fashion. Vixen sat down before the hissing tea kettle with a pretty important air, like a child making tea out of toy tea things. Rory brought a low, square stool to the corner close to her and seated himself with his chin a little above the tea table. "'You can't eat roast beef in that position,' said Vixen. Oh, yes, I can. I can do anything that's mad or merry this evening, but I'm not at all sure that I want beef. Though it's nearly three months since I've had an, an honest bit of ox-beef, I think thin bread and butter, or roses and dew even, quite substantial enough for me this evening. You're afraid of spoiling your appetite for the grand dinner, said Vixen. 
no i'm not i hate grand dinners fancy making a fine art of eating and studying one's menu beforehand to see what combination of dishes will harmonize best with one's internal economy and then the name of things are always better than the things themselves it's like a show at the fair all the best outside give me a slice of english beef or mutton and a bird that my gun has shot and let all the fine art dinners go hang cut him a slice of beef dear miss mccroggy said vixen not now thanks i can't eat now i'm going to drink orange pekoe argus had taken up his position between violet and her visitor he sat bolt upright like a sentinel keeping guard over his mistress save that a human sentinel unless idiotic or intoxicated would hardly sit with his jaw wide apart and his tongue hanging out of one side of his mouth as argus did but this lolloping attitude of the canine tongue was supposed to indicate a mind at peace with creation are you very glad to come of age rory asked vixen turning her bright brown eyes upon him full of curiosity well it would be rather nice to have as much money as i want without asking my mother for it she was my only guardian you know my father had such confidence in her rectitude and capacity that he left everything in her hands do you find briarwood much improved inquired miss mccroggy lady jane had been doing a good deal to her orchid-houses lately i haven't found briarwood at all yet answered rory and vixen seems determined that i shan't find it what you have only just returned only just and you have not seen lady jane yet exclaimed miss mccroggy with a horrified look it sounds rather undutiful doesn't it i was awfully tired after travelling all night and i made this a kind of halfway house two sides of a triangle are invariably longer than any one side remarked vixen gravely at least that's what miss mccroggy has taught me it was rather out of my way of course but i wanted to see whether vixen had grown and i wanted to see the squire papa has gone to ringwood to look at a horse but you'll see him at the grand dinner he'll be coming home to dress presently i hope you had an agreeable tour mr baudry said miss mccroggy oh uncommonly jolly and you like switzerland yes it's nice and hilly and then roderick favoured them with a sketch of his travels while they sipped their tea and while vixen made the dogs balance pieces of cake on their blunt big noses it was all very nice the tete noire the mont blanc and the matterhorn rory jumbled them all together without the least regard to geography he had done a good deal of climbing had worn out and lost dozens of alpine sticks and had brought home a case of swiss carved work for his friends there's a clock for your den vixen i shall bring it to-morrow with a little cock-robin that comes out of his nest and sings no end of jolly how lovely cried vixen the tall eight-day clock in the corner of the hall chimed the half-hour half-past five and starlight best not ordered exclaimed roderick let's go out to the stables and see about her suggested vixen and then i can show you my pony you remember titmouse the one that would jump violet ejaculated the aggrieved governess do you suppose i would permit you to go out indoors in such weather do you think it's still raining asked vixen innocently it may have cleared up well we'd better order the cart she added meekly as she rang the bell i'm not of age yet you see rory please peters tell west to get papa's dog-cart ready for mr baudry um, and to drive starlight bess rory looked at the bright face admiringly 
The shadows had deepened. There was no light in the great oak-panelled room except the ruddy fire-glow, and in this light Violet Tempest looked her loveliest. The figure in the tapestry seemed to move in the flickering light, appeared and vanished, vanished and appeared, like the phantoms of a dream. The carved bosses of the ceiling were reflected grotesquely on the oaken wall above the tapestry. The stag's head had a goblin look. It was like a sense of enchantment, and Violet, in her black frock and amber sash, looked like the enchantress Circe, Vivian, Melusine, or somebody of equally dubious antecedents. It was Miss McCroke's sleepiest hour, Orange Pico which has an awakening influence upon most people, acted as an opiate upon her. She sat blinking owlishly at the two young figures. Rory roused himself with a great effort. "'Unless Starlight Bess spins me along the road pretty quickly, I shall hardly get to Briarwood by dinner-time,' he said. "'And upon my honour I don't feel the least inclination to go.' "'Oh, what fun if you were absent from your coming-of-age dinner!' cried Vixen, with her brown eyes dancing mischievously. They would have to put an empty chair for you like Banquo's. It would be a lark, acquiesced Rory, but it wouldn't do. I should hear too much about it afterwards. A fellow's mother has some kind of claim upon him, you know. Now for Starlight Bess. They went to the vestibule, and Rory opened the door, letting in a gust of wind and rain, and the scent of autumn's last ill-used flowers. Oh, I so nearly forgot, said Violet as they stood on the threshold side by side, waiting for the dog-cart to appear. "'I've got a little present for you, quite a humble one, for a grand young landowner like you, but I never could save much of my pocket-money. There are so many poor children always having scarlet fever or tumbling into a fire, and drinking out of the boiling tea-kettles. But here it is, Rory, I hope you won't hate it very much.' She put a little square packet into his hand, which he proceeded instantly to open. I shall love it, whatever it is. It's a portrait. You darling! The very thing I should have asked for. The portrait of somebody you're very fond of. Someone I adore, said Rory. He had extracted the locket from its box by this time. It was a thick, oblong locket of dead gold, plain and massive, the handsomest of its kind that a Southampton jeweller could supply. Rory opened it eagerly to look at the portrait. There was just light enough from the newly kindled vestibule lamp to show it to him. "'Why, it's a dog!' cried Rory, with deep-toned disgust. "'It's old Argus!' "'Who did you think it was?' "'You, of course.' "'What an idea! As if I should give anyone my portrait!' "'I knew you were fond of Argus. Does his head come out beautifully? The photographer said he—' was the best sitter he had had for ever so long. I hope you don't quite detest the locket, Rory. I admire it intensely, and I'm deeply grateful, but I feel inexpressibly sold all the same, and I am to go about the world with Argus dangling at my breast. Well, for your sake, Vixen, I'll submit even to that degradation. Here came the cart, and the two flaming lamps, like angry eyes flashing through the shrubberies. It pulled up to the steps, Rory and Vixen clasped hands and bade good-night, and then the young man swung himself lightly into the seat beside the driver, and away went Starlight Bess, making just that soft of dashing and spirited start which inspires the timorous beholder, with the idea that the next proceeding will be the bringing home of the driver and the companion upon the brace of the shutters. 
End of Volume 1, Chapter 4 Recording by Capricia Page